Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. I'm going to talk to you for a little while on a sermon that I just want to call Take Me Home. And it comes from the fact that I, uh, I got in my vehicle after 15 days of being away and I just said, okay, Siri, take me home. And that's where this really came from. It just started at that process of realizing that I missed home so much and that um, there's something about home. Amen? Having a place to call your own, having a place to go to where people know your name. No, this isn't Cheers, but... Uh, I'm talking about a place that is um, special to you. And so in Matthew 19, I want to reference this story, and I'm going to talk my way through this story a little bit today as we teach the Word of God. How many are ready for the Word of the Lord today? Amen. All right. That's six of you. <laughs> no. It's good. It's good. Let's go to verse number uh, 16 in chapter 19 of Matthew now behold, one came and said to him, good teacher. Everyone say, good teacher. What good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Isn't that the question everybody wants to have answered? Am I good? Have I got it all taken care of? If I'm gone from this place, do I have eternal life? So he said to him, this is Jesus talking to this young man. He said, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Verse 18, he said to him, which ones, Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Verse 19, he says, honor your father and your mother, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 20, the young man said to him, I got you. In modern, I'm paraphrasing, I got you. All these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? And Jesus said unto him, you never ask Jesus, what's the one thing you want from me? Because he'll come after that one thing. Amen. So Jesus said unto him, if you want to be perfect, everyone say perfect. Go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly I say unto you that it is harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And, it, and again I say unto you it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? If the people that got it all together, this guy is a young, rich ruler. He's got all the money. He's got all the status. If he cannot make it, with all of his wisdom and his money and his understanding, then who could possibly be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Amen. Jesus, we ask you to bless the reading, the hearing of the word, and let it be receptive in our hearts. Let us sow these seeds into our life. We might live it in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. You may be seated. I feel a little disoriented today because of coming back after vacation, you kind of have vacation brain. So I wrote my sermon and I was like, man, I was going to feel like riding a bike. Got to get back up there and do what, uh, what God's called me to do. But I'm thankful for the mission that he's put in my heart. And I'm thankful for the passion that I see in so many of you. I want to thank so many of you for what you've been doing lately and the faithfulness that you've had to the house of God. I do want to just say before I get too far into this that um, we'd love to see you on September 30th for our movie night here. This is our um, God's Not Dead 2 movie. We've, been, we've partnered with Family Christian Bookstores, and they are putting tickets in every single sale that they have at their bookstore. They're actually putting one of these little tickets right here. 
in the in the bookstore in the bookstore itself they have many different things that they're selling but when they make a sale they have partnered with us to drop some of these it's a ticket to that movie night in the bag so we've already given out over 400 of these and it's being received very well so we are going to see a great um i believe a great opportunity come from this and i believe great great things are happening and so we're actually printing out 400 more tickets to take back to them um, several pastors in the area know about it. Um, one in particular texted me last week, and he said, I really like what you guys are doing. He actually said, I love what you guys do. So um, I want you to know that people are noticing, and they know where we're at. How many had trouble finding this place today? <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate the feedback. <laughs> that is a, That is the funny thing about it's not even funny really to me because we're trying to make it easier to find um on google and other things we have some feather banners they're going to be printed off and and um they're going to be labeled and then we're going to put them out by the road they're large feather banners that help people find this place before the movie night so if you would be so kind as to help people that you invite find it but we're going to do our best to make it easier to find this is kind of the best kept secret amen I really believe that God has placed us here for an important purpose. Amen? And I believe that this city needs this church. And I believe that your workplace needs you to live for God. And I believe that every one of us have a great and grand purpose in God's plan. Amen? And so I believe that we need to do everything we can to make this place easier to find. And so we're going to do that. And so I'm doing some housekeeping. I realized that at the beginning of this sermon and also, there are other things coming up. If you want to go to prayer conference next week, that would be awesome for you to be there. It's at Parkway in Oak Creek, one of our sister churches, a tremendous time. If you need information about that, you can see me at the Connect Center afterwards. I'll let you know how to get there. But in our text today, we deal with a very serious situation of a young man who's been good at what he does, it seems, all of his life. He's, he's done all the right things. He's dotted all the right I's and crossed all the right T's. And I think more than anything, whenever you look at somebody that's done everything right, they always want to make sure that they've done it right. They, they, they want to double check. And so he hears about Jesus being there and he's going to go and talk to the Lord and ask him, have I done everything that the law requires? And the problem here is that he calls him a good teacher, which is a messianic reference to God because only God is good. And so Jesus says, why are you calling me good? Because only God is good. And therefore, he's testing him to see, are you calling me good because you know that I'm God? Or are you just calling me good to give me lip service? Are you doing that because you want to win me over? Or are you literally saying that because I am the Lord of your life? There are a lot of people that have a lot of things to say about God. There are plenty of people that give God plenty of lip service. But the problem with that is you can look good on the outside and not have God on the inside. You can spend your life doing all the right things as this young man had done. He was the epitome of everything the world says success should be. He was not only rich, but he was young. That's important to note because riches is what the world chases after. They say if you get rich, you're set. Everything's going to be good for you. But he not only was rich, he wasn't rich in his old age when he couldn't do anything but write checks to make up for the loss of health when he gained the riches. He was rich and he was young. The young there speaks to the fact of unlimited potential. So he had riches and unlimited potential. And he went to Jesus Christ and said, what is it that I still need to do to make heaven my home? And Jesus said, there is one thing you have to do. You have to make sure that your possessions don't possess you. You have to be sure that all of the gain that you have received in life never takes over the fact that there is one who blessed you with all of those blessings, amen? And do you love him and will you serve him more than you love and serve all the things that he gives you? The most important and most difficult question you can ever ask your life is this, is does your heart love God more than it loves the things you have in your life? Amen?
Are you completely sold out to Jesus Christ? And that's hard to answer because we have to qualify the question. What do you mean? Is my heart sold out to Jesus Christ? Well, there's several ways that you can tell if you're completely sold out to God. Number one is, what do you give your time to? Because you can tell where your heart is by what you give your time to. If you are easily distracted by one thing in your life, the chances are your heart's invested in that thing. If it's easy for you to drop your planned schedule anytime you find out that that's going to be involved or that if there's something that you know how it goes when you were younger, maybe you can take a walk with me back through the days and maybe you're still young, I don't know, but there's that one person that always seemed to catch your eye, you remember the day? And, and it didn't matter how many plans you had with friends, it didn't matter how long those plans had been set up for that evening, if you found out that one person was going to be at that one one place, you seem to find a way to change your schedule to be at that one place. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When your heart falls in love with something, there is no blocking your presence or your desire to be in the presence of that thing. And I think there's no truer statement in the world than home is where the heart is. Have you ever heard that statement? It's said a lot around the holidays, and the truth of that statement is what your heart loves becomes home to you. I used to be obviously in Bible college in Indiana and that's where I met my lovely wife Sarah. Really grateful for the best the best decision that I ever made. I didn't say mistake. I said decision I ever made. Sometimes I have to pray about it a lot, but I love her to death. And the thing about it is I would be in Bible college, and, and if you know my background, you know I grew up in Alaska. And when I went to Bible college in Indiana, my family moved out of Alaska. So even though the state was kind of my home, I couldn't really go back there because it was too far to travel. Didn't have that kind of budget as a college student. And my mother moved to Arkansas. And you have to know that I was a poor boy growing up. We didn't have a lot of things. So when I got in college, it didn't change. I was still a poor college student. And so I was getting around the holidays, and people started talking about where they're going to go home for the holidays, and they're all like, hey, hey, where are you going? Oh, I'm, I'm staying here. I'm working through the holidays. And they're like, oh, man, that's too bad. And I would start talking to them. I'm like, where, where are you going? Well, I'm going home. I'm really excited. I get to go home and see my family and be with my friends. And, and they would talk about how much they miss their family and how much they miss being back at home and how they feel better when they get to go home. It's just something about going home and how everything just feels right when I get to go home and, um, and who I get to be with at home. And they talk about loved ones, their mother, their father, their family, their friends, the church they attended, the people they would see, and how much it felt great to go home. And I remember a moment of sadness because I didn't have that place to go to. The church I left in Alaska, no way I could go back there over the holidays. And, and I don't know about you, but when you grow up poor, you kind of expect that some things are going to be left out of your life. I, I don't know if you grew up with a lot of money. I apologize for the reference if that's the case. But I grew up, whenever, whenever we had milk in our cereal, it wasn't real milk. It was called powdered milk. Anybody ever eat? I mean eat powdered milk. This, the thing about it is, is if you didn't stir your milk before you poured it in your cereal, you had clumps on top of your cereal. There, there's just something wrong about having to chew your milk, okay? And we didn't have orange juice. We had tang. Come on, somebody. You weren't super rich growing up. You know what I'm talking about. And we didn't have all of the things that necessarily people have that grow up with privilege. But I tell you, when I first started getting some money, I started buying everything that I wanted to buy. Because we just couldn't buy things when I was younger. I went to the store, and I bought a gallon of 2% milk, and I left some in the bottom and threw it away. Just because I had extra. I didn't actually do that, but it felt good saying it. And I had orange juice, real fresh squeezed orange juice from Whole Foods. And you, it cost me my whole wallet at Whole Foods, but it was still, it was great. No, so I, I had things that were missing that constantly the enemy would come to me and tell me, you don't have everything that everybody else has. 
You don't have all the privileges of going back home and seeing family and the, and the great thing. And the key component was not just the place, but it was the people that were at that place. And I didn't even have that because of the family being separated and spread all over the United States. And so you can understand maybe possibly the feelings that I have when after 15 days being away, I pull up my phone and I say, Siri, take me home. And I don't have to tell my technology where my home is. It knows where my home is at. And I want you to know that whenever we get to working in our lives and we get busy with our schedules, that there are times when our soul can drift from God. And we need to take account and careful consideration of all that we do in life. And so there are times where we don't have to inform our spirit of where to go and what home is, but I want you to know that if your heart is given to Jesus Christ, he is where home is at for you. doesn't matter whether you're at the church building, it doesn't matter whether you're in a, in, a, in a special service, if you can be sitting in your car and know that home is not only a place, but home is where Jesus is at, then you can have home wherever you are. You can literally be with God in any place at any time. Amen? I feel at home not only because I know I can be here on a Sunday, but I feel at home because I know that Jesus is with me no matter where I'm at. And when I said, take me home, I just had this overwhelming urge that Jesus kind of spoke to my spirit. And I know that sounds crazy, but I'm not worried about sounding crazy because I believe in a, in a God who was born of a woman who had, had immaculate conception and I believe in all kinds of things. I believe in a God, Jesus Christ, who came and died for my sins, and he died on one day. He was dead for three, and he got up again. And I believe that he speaks to me and talks to me on a regular basis in my prayer life. So if you're wondering if, I can, if I'm concerned about people thinking if I'm crazy, you're wrong, because it's crazy to believe that someone can die, be buried, and be resurrected, and I have an invisible relationship with an invisible God who speaks to me every morning. That's pretty crazy all by itself, amen? So I'm not concerned about people thinking that I'm crazy. So if you want to know what I feel about Jesus Christ, I'll tell you. He's my way maker. He's the one who gave me everything that I didn't have. He's the one that made substitute for my life when I was living in sin. He came and he died for me. And he stamped my passport as a citizen to heaven so that I have a place to go when I leave this earth that is forever settled and I know my name is written in the Lamb's book of life and in that writing and in that name written down, he said, I have given you life because I died for you. My life is his death and his death gave me life. And in that, I don't mind telling you that I'll get red in the face in the pulpit. I'll preach it from my socks through to the top of my head because I believe that Jesus changed my life forever when he gave me a new home in heaven. He made me a citizen of a land I have never been, but I feel his presence with me on a regular basis. And I know this world is not my home. Because it feels so different than the way this world feels. The world is so full of hate. And so world full of separation of race and society is, seems to be spinning backwards out of control. And I'm grateful that in all the mess that I'm seeing in our world, I can run to a Messiah. I'm grateful in all the things that I feel when I see people hurt and abused, beat up and beat down. That there is still a God who knows my name and knows their name. And if I can just share Jesus with somebody, I can help them understand that this world is not their home. And we are just a passing through. And our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And my grandmother used to sing it, the angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Anybody like me feeling a little homesick for heaven, amen? It's funny because that's even more crazy. Being homesick for a place you've never been. Heaven is home just because Jesus is there. 
and I want to see him. It's not because of the pearly gates. It's not because there'll be no more pain, no more suffering, no more burnout or fatigue. One day, that glorious day, there will be a place where I meet Jesus face to face. Because my heart belongs to the Lord. There was a man that was a missionary and he traveled to Africa and he began to do missionary work and I was just talking to a friend the other day which segues this particular part of the sermon and I'm talking to a friend and talking about the blessings of life and the question came up from that friend, could you lay down everything? Could you go as a missionary and live in a mud hut? And could you carry the gospel when you have to sleep under a net in case you're bit by a mosquito and have a fear of malaria? Could you give it all up in America and go and do that? And I know that's a really hard question. I don't know about you, but that's a hard question for me because I've been blessed in life. And this person knew some things about me, and he's like, can you give up that? And can you give up this? And because I hesitated, they're like, there's your answer. You know it's hard to give up good things, amen? We are so built on creature comforts, it's not funny. If the air conditioner is not set right, we put fans in front of the church <laughs> until they come and they fix it. And as a pastor, I, I, I'm cognizant constantly of who may be in the pew, but I'm also cognizant of the fact that if Jesus wants to destroy this service and do whatever he wants to do with it, our opinions have to be arrested at that moment to let him do what he wants to do. And so I was talking to this friend and it pricked my heart. Can I give up? And really the way it translated to me, you know how some people ask you a question, it translates different to you. The way it translated to me was, have I become too comfortable that I'm not longing for heaven anymore? Have I got too comfortable down here? Do I have too many good things? Yeah, there's some bad things here and there sprinkled, but by and large, we are a blessed people, amen? We, we live in a very blessed nation. And out of all that, I began to ponder, and it took me two weeks, it really did. It, all of vacation, I was pondering, could I give it all up? And I drove a jalopy around. I, one of our cars was dying, and so I gave my nice car to Sarah. And I bombed my way around town for two weeks <laughs> while, while I was right before I went on vacation. And the muffler's gone on this car, and it uh, doesn't run too well, and it starts hard, and, and it has squeaky noises on this vehicle. And we've just now replaced it this week. But the funny thing was, while I was driving around, I'm just kind of sitting there, and I pull up to a light. I just squeak my way up to a light. And I don't usually squeak when I pull up to lights, and I don't usually sound like, a, you know, a dump truck pulling up in a Dodge Intrepid. And I, I look at people next to me and they're in these nice vehicles in Brookfield. They're driving Audis and Beamers and you know how they do around here. They're rolling on 20 inches and they have all the nice stuff. You know, I'm kidding. That was said for a few of the guys in the back. They have all this nice stuff. And I pull up next to them and I got some looks like, are you kidding me? Do you know how much you're polluting the air right now? <laughs> I, got some, I got some looks. And I had people fly around me because my car won't go as fast as they would like to go on the roads in the area. And when they passed me, they're like shaking their head like, come on, man. You got to find a better car than that. And while that's all going on, I'm okay with them judging me as not having anything because they don't know really what I have on the inside. They're looking at the outside, judging me based upon what I'm driving or maybe even what I'm wearing. But the thing is, I was content sitting in a junker, driving around Rich Brookfield, because I know what's in my heart. 
And I know who I believe in. And I know who I have. And if you know who your God is, you can be misunderstood by everybody on the planet and still stand there in your strength. How many people have judged you wrongly or have made statements and didn't know what they were talking about and you just stood there and smiled, not because you were just taking it, but because you knew the God in whom you believed and you knew that there was no reason to address their misunderstandings because your God was living in your life, working in your life, and you were blessed even when it didn't look like it. So I drove my jalopy, happy, bombed my way around town for a few weeks, and now we've replaced it, and I'm trying to sell it. But while I was doing that, the whole time I'm driving that piece of junk, I'm like, my heart belongs to the Lord. The Lord, I, I really felt like, you know, Job, when he lost everything. We sometimes think of Job as this amazing man. But really, Job had one thing set firm in his life. The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He had literally set in his heart, if I have the Lord, I have everything I need. If I lose family, if I lose loved ones, if I lose crops, and if I lose cattle, it doesn't matter the riches I lose in life as long as I have the Lord. That was the qualification for Job receiving double because if he could handle and live for God losing everything, he could live for God having everything. And see, the problem we have is this rich young ruler ran head on into the dilemma of God will give you great blessings in your life if he can trust you to live for him when you have nothing. And oftentimes, God, when he's doing a miracle or a blessing in your life, it'll feel like it's going in reverse before it goes forward. Amen? You will come to church. You will pray for God to bless you. You'll pray for God to help you. And it will feel like and look like it got worse. Anybody want to talk to me right now? Anybody want to talk? It's your boy, as they say. What happens is God is trying to make sure that your prayer intentions are noble and that you literally trust him to do the best with however it turns out. And if it gets worse, then you have to believe that it had to go there before it's going to get better. Amen? God has to pull you back sometimes before he releases you to be what he wants you to be. And I'm grateful that I trust him with my heart and I'm grateful that I know that if God's going to give me double I have to believe him that he can take it away as well he can take it away and I have to be okay with that and whenever I've made him my home then he can take away whatever and it's not a loss oh we feel it trust me I I don't stand here as a person that doesn't have loss in my life. There's been a lot of friends I had to leave behind. There's been people that misunderstood. There's been a lot of loneliness and tears being a pastor of situations that I have to hear about that make me sad because I know it could have been avoided. It's just sin that became wages. And the funny thing is sin would be so unattractive if the wages of sin were paid immediately. If we literally received what sin would bring to our life immediately, we would not choose to go there. But because God is gracious and because God is good, someone could say a man there. He is willing to recover us from places that we find ourselves in. But there's something here that this young man could not let go of. He's like, Jesus, you're a good teacher. He's like, are you just... Saying that with your mouth or is your heart behind that? I'll finish shortly. If you put that scripture up there, Seth, he says, there's only one that's good, it's God. And some theologians believe this is Jesus separating himself from God the Father and all of that, and that's really not true. We know that. This is Jesus saying, if you're going to call me good, make sure you know that I'm God in flesh. That's what he's really saying. And so he goes on to say, and behold, one came and said, go on to the next verse if you would. So he says, yeah, there's none good but God, 
but if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He's like, I've got that down. I'm good there. He goes, in fact, I don't know if you noticed, but I've been so good with the commandments, I've kept all of them. And then he goes on to say, there's one thing. Jump down if you would to the next, to the next few verses. Go, go down to 21 if you would. A young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth. Go on. Jesus said unto him, if thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast and give it to the poor. How many could do that right now? Just leave here. Well, you say, you say, oh yeah, but make sure it's because you don't have, it's because, you know, if you had a lot, I'm just saying if you had a lot, like this guy is rich. He, you know, his camel rolled up in 20s and his, he's got a big old wad in his pocket. You know, he rolls off $100 bills and he's got everything set, his clothing, his situation. He's all, he's all there. He's got everything. And so now you're not just asking him to give up a few things. When I ask somebody, can you sell everything you have and give it to the Lord? It's a whole much, it's a completely different question to someone who's rich. And it's a completely different question to someone who's rich and young. Because if you're young, you planned on living on all that money. You planned on retiring on all those funds. You planned on having that 401k that didn't go away. You know what I'm saying? So it's harder for you to give up everything when you're rich and you're young than it is if you're living in a one-bedroom apartment and Jesus says, sell all you have and go to, you know, Madagascar. (laughs) Preach the gospel. That's not difficult to do because you don't have much. But when you have much, it's hard to give it up. But then Jesus goes on to tell him some different things. And he said, you shall have treasure in heaven. I remember the story of a man that died and went to heaven. And when he got to heaven, they were all showing the mansions that they had received. And it's just a, this is just an analogy. It's not really true. But all the mansions that they had received, and this one guy, he's like, hey, Bob, how you doing? He's like, great. He's like, oh, is this your place? He's like, yeah, look at what, look at what God did. Tithing paid off. <laughs> and, and he's like, this is great. I love this place. And he's like, I've, I finally made it home to heaven. He's like, wow, that's awesome. Look at that mansion. That's amazing. And then he goes to his next friend, Fred, and Fred's like, he's like, is this your place? He's like, yeah, it's not as big as Bob's because he really gave a lot of offering and, and he really served God with his whole life. And he goes, but it's, it's a nice it's a nice colonial it's it's really beautiful nice turnaround drive and he's like wow that's really great Fred I'm glad to hear that and then he turns to Gabriel he's like would you mind just taking me to my mansion and giving me my keys I really want to see how beautiful it is and so Gabriel's like all right hop in the Jesus mobile and they drive over to his mansion they get out and there's this little shack and it's got his name on it and he's like no this is this has got to be wrong this is this cannot be they're supposed to be mansions in heaven, not shacks. And he's like, where's, and he's like, no, there's your keys. This is your place. I'm so glad you made it home to heaven. And Gabriel's about to leave. He's like, wait, wait a minute. Why, why did Bob and why did Fred get big mansions? And I know Fred, he only sent a certain amount. I, I think I probably matched him, but why do I only have a shack? And he said, because this is all the materials, the building materials you sent. This is the, all that you had faith for in life. And if life is this short and eternity is forever, wouldn't we want to invest in a place called home that's heaven? And so then Jesus, go on to the next verse if you would. Verse 24. And Jesus gets right down to it. And he says, and again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. There is a gate on the side of Jerusalem's wall that's called the eye of the needle. I don't... Some people say that they were trying to, Jesus was trying to make a reference to that gate, that when they closed the main gates of the city in the evening, you could not access Jerusalem unless you took your camels around to the side gate and you had them kneel down with their load on and they had to walk, kneel down. It was the hardest thing to do to get a camel with a load through this low gate. But you could enter the city of Jerusalem in the evening at night when there normally would be no way in if you came through the a needle. But this doesn't say the eye of the needle. This says the eye of a needle. And I think Jesus literally meant that he wanted us to envision cramming something through the eye of a needle. 
that is so hard because there's so many restrictions and there's so many blessings and there's so many benefits to being wealthy. You cannot serve God and mammon, the Bible says. You can't serve God and your money because the more you buy, the more you have to maintenance. And the more you have to maintenance, the more time it takes. And the more time it takes, the less time you have to be in church because you're cleaning that boat before you go out on it on Sunday afternoon. So you just can't make it to church and you just can't spend that money because you got to fill that $200 gas tank of that SUV or that RV. It just starts to compound itself and pretty soon you realize you're serving money and this world more than you're serving God. And it's not bad to have good things because they say the root of all evil is money. No, the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money, not money. You can be rich and go to heaven. But I think God was trying, Jesus in flesh here, was trying to have us envision that if you're wealthy, if you're rich, if you're loaded, it's going to be difficult for you. You need to envision cramming yourself into heaven like through the eye of a needle because there's just so many weights that come with wealth. And the final thing I wanted to say about that is that you have to realize that when you're rich, you're only rich given the environment that you're in. Because if you're a millionaire in this environment and there's no other millionaires in here, you're the richest man in the room. But if you walk into a room of millionaires, you could be the poorest millionaire in the room. And if you're a multi-millionaire and you walk into a room of billionaires, you're poor. So riches are definitely relational or environmental. You have to know that. And so Jesus is saying, I want you to understand that riches come with weights. They come with, they come with things that you have to realize they're going to be there if you're going to have a great life and you're going to have a traveling life and you're going to have four houses and, and some, one in Spain and one in the United States. And if you travel all those places, there's going to be weights with that. Okay, I'm done with that. Sorry. I went too long. Your riches, I beat that camel to death camel intended there go on to the next verse and he says and when his disciples heard it they were exceedingly amazed saying who then can be saved the people with the day timers the people with the secretaries and the schedules and the know and the know-how and the how to get there and they're the ones that's telling everybody else how to work their money and they're the ones that want to be sought after to know what do i do with my 401k and what do I do for my retirement funds and what do I do to make myself set if those people can't make it they're like then who can be because they are the smartest people right did you know there's a whole lot of people that have just as much talent as you that are much wealthier than you because they simply believed in themselves and there are people that have less and have done more because they completely were passionate about what they believed in. And so all you have to know is that God is not looking at your money. He's not looking at what you have because this young ruler had everything. If God was going to select somebody for the kingdom of heaven, you'd think he'd select the successful people. But God has a funny way of choosing people that nobody else selects to do great things. That's a good spot for an amen right there. Next verse, we're finishing up. But Jesus beheld them. He stopped and he looked at him. He's like, he's assessing the situation. He's like, I see that success seems like it would be the thing that gets you to heaven. But he's like, God doesn't look on the outward appearance. He looks on the heart. Amen. So he said unto them, with men... This is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. He said, you can be rich and go to heaven with God, but with men, it's impossible. If you keep God first in your life, you can live wealthy. You can. But the thing is, if you put God first in your life, he will challenge your wealth every time. He will make sure that your money is not your God. I know I'm stuck on this. I don't know why. Maybe there's somebody that needs to hear this. But the reason why you give when you're poor is to sow a seed into the kingdom of God. I'm not an offering preacher, just so you know. Everybody in here knows me. I barely take offerings here. I'm not very good at it. So I'm not about your money. 
but you need to hear this concept because this will change your life. If you are poor and you need God to bless you financially, the way that you get a blessing from God is to sow a seed financially into the kingdom of God. Whether through offerings or giving, you sow something of your possessions to get God, to have God bless you and to honor God. The way that you keep your possessions from, because that's what happened with this young man. He didn't possess his possessions. His possessions possessed him. Make sense? So when you're poor, you give in order for God to bless you to make up for the difference and the gap that you have. But when you're rich, you give to prove to God that your money doesn't have you. So when you get wealthy, you may, I may be putting $200 in the offering, but when you get wealthy, God might ask you to put in 20000 And they're the same to the wealthy person as for the poor person. It's like, Pastor, I got two bucks. <laughs> I don't got no 200 Just forget that right now. <laughs> I'm telling you, the reason why God will ask big things of wealthy people is because he's asking them to prove that they own their possessions and their possessions don't own them. Okay. God says all things are possible. Jump down to verse 30, if you would. Peter says something in there where he's like, we gave up everything. We were fishing, and you came and said, follow me, and we gave up everything. So he's like, we got you, Jesus. <laughs> he's our homeboy. We got you, Jesus. We gave up it all. And Jesus makes this statement. He said, but many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. In God's kingdom, the person in the back of the line comes first. So when you learn how to serve, what he was teaching was a service mentality, is that when you have a lot, you still need to serve. When you have little, you still need to serve. Serve is the common denominator that keeps God first in your heart. When you serve people, when you serve the hurting, when you serve those that are less fortunate, you put yourself out of the way and you chase after God's heart for your life. And when you chase after God's heart, you allow yourself to align your will with God's plan for your life. I don't know if that's good enough for today, but that's really what I felt to tell somebody is that you need to serve God with everything that you have. And when you do that, you make him your home. And so then go on to the next verse. He addresses specifically, just stay with me all the way through this. I'm going to click right through this. Okay, you don't have it? All right, I'm sorry. I gave all those two guys, but that's okay. I'm going to go to the scripture itself. And he says in verse 30, but first or last, let's go back up to verse um, 28. And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. He says to the disciples, whenever Peter says, Hey, we gave up everything. He said, You're going to have a place of authority. Because you gave up so much. You're going to sit on thrones and judge the tribes of Israel. And then he says this. Everyone that hath forsaken houses and brethren or sisters or fathers or mothers or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last and the last shall be first. I believe that what he's saying there is if you invest your heart in me, that I become your home, and you are able to give up houses, brothers, and sisters, places, and people to make me your primary number one thing in your life if you invest your heart in me. So the man that was a missionary that I started the story with in Africa he passed away from a disease, and while he was making his final wishes, he asked a very strange request. He said, when I die, take my body home and bury it in America. He said, but leave my heart buried in Africa. He goes, because this is where my heart was. So for him, 
home should have been the United States, but because of where his heart was, Africa became home for him. And so I, too, like you, have moments where I just say, would you just take me home? Just take me to Jesus. And when I go to church and I hear the praise team singing and playing and doing everything they can to encourage worship, I'm like, this is me going home. This is me feeling God. This is me seeking after God. When the preacher preaches, I want it to be a little bit of home for me. I always want Jesus to be what I call home. And there's some people in the test in the New Testament, they they asked him some questions and they said, you know what? We would see Jesus. We would see Jesus. If you would let us see Jesus, I'm not I'm not concerned about what's going on here. I don't even care what you pulled up in, what you drive, or what you wore today. I want you to know if you came here to see Jesus, I plan on not having a happy, clappy church, not having a, an easygoing and, and half-baked type of situation here. I plan on having a church that, for the namesake of God, reaches out and says, this is going to be what home feels like when we praise and His Spirit comes and He inhabitates the praises of His people. I want us to leave here and say, that's what heaven feels like. I want us to leave here knowing that God has visited with us. And when we leave here, then we walk into a restaurant or we walk into a place of, 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 of family or friends and we see others, I want them to know that we have been with Jesus, that we have met with him on this Sunday morning, that we haven't just checked off on our calendar a Sunday morning service, but we've come here and we've guarded our hearts and we've listened to the word of God and we've reaffirmated that we love the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our strength and we love not the world neither the things of this world and that we have literally put everything we have in our heart in Jesus Christ and that is the story that I want to live out would you stand with me today so can you let go of everything are you satisfied with Jesus alone? When, when you lose as much as I've been forced to lose in life, you realize that your heart can tend to be unattached. I had to learn, I had to learn literally how to love with attachment. I had to learn how to want something in my life to where if it left I wasn't like okay I'll get another okay I'll find another because so much came and left that I got used to loss and when I started seeking God about my life and what he would do with my life I was like Lord whatever you want to take Take it all if you have to. If it's necessary, of course, I would like for him not to take it all. But if you have to. And he said, if you will go, I will work with you. And I will make whole any dysfunction. How many like walking with a God who knows how to make you whole? And so I began pastoring helping pastor, helping with youth ministries. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I had no way of knowing what I was doing. And even now, I feel like pastoring a small church. Like, I have dreams and aspirations, but I don't ever want my dreams to get in the way of what God wants for this church. And so I've always been willing to let go. And I think that's why God's been gracious to me. And I think that's why he's blessed this place. Not just this place, but us. But the proof is in how we live. Because I could have all of these things and say, God, I served you with all this. And he could say, well, there's one thing. Can you leave it all and go and serve me? And I want to be able to not just lose things in life, but I want to be able to say, yes, Lord, if you ask me to give up anything... 
I will not see that as home. I will not feel slighted. I will not feel sad. I will let go of it and trust you. Some of you may have moved in the near recent future. Some of you may be dealing with new schedules and new situations. And some of you are going back to work with a bunch of kids. <laughs> I look to the right for a reason. In all of those things, I want you to know that God has your best in mind. You may not know where you're going to settle as of yet, but I know that God knows where you're going to be. And while we're spending time in his presence today, I'd ask you to ask yourself, can I give it all up? Have I become too comfortable with where I am that I'm not passionately seeking after God? That I've let my prayer life kind of dim and I've let things take place that push God to the back burner? Have I made him less of a priority lately? I wonder if you could bow your heads with me and we could self-reflect for a minute because in this situation and in this moment, I pray that we leave with a strong sense that God, you are the Lord of my life. You are number one. You are ahead of all things. You come first. And Jesus, I pray over this congregation today and I bless them and send them with your presence that you would make yourself known and in making yourself known you give all of us the courage to put you on the highest throne of our life that we would be willing to give up everything houses and lands and whatever we have even small or great that we might show you that you are truly home to us you are our first and best I pray you let us see things throughout our work life, throughout our family, throughout our relationships that allow us to serve others this week so that we know that we're putting you first because we'll serve them with the love of God. In Jesus' name. Everyone said amen.